Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series, Saving Grace, a verse-by-verse study of the book of Romans. Here's Pastor Nick. given Adam a warning at that time. He said, if you eat from that tree, you will die. And guess what? That's exactly what happened. In the moment that Adam and Eve sinned, the principle of sin and the principle of death entered into the world. And the principle of death has reigned over this earth ever since. That's what verse 12 is saying when it says, it goes on to say this, sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. It's a very important biblical principle that we need to establish in our minds is this. Death is the result of sin. Death is the result of sin. Every grave that you see is evidence of the spread of sin and the reign of death ever since the time of Adam. I don't know if you've driven down Main Street. There's a cemetery there at like 11th and Main Street. I don't know. It's a pretty busy place. People are dying to get in there, right? But see, that's the thing about sin is that sin has been reigning ever since Adam. I wasn't in the notes, guys. That's just free form. That's just me going for it, all right? The reason we're subject to death is because the principle of sin is at work in this world. Death is the result of sin. If it were not for sin, we would not be subject to death. But then he says at the end of verse 12, so death spread to all men because all men sinned. All men sinned. Now, because death and sin are connected, we know that all men and women are sinners. How do we know that all men and women are sinners? Because we are subject to death. Now, now here's why that's interesting. Notice again at the, phrase, at the phrase at the end of verse 12, because all sinned. Now, last week I told you a story about how good grammar saved my life, really. It got me married. So grammar's important. I'm gonna bring out some grammar stuff right now for you. This is what tense It's not the past perfect tense, right? Which is the have, right? Like all people have sinned. That's called the past perfect or present perfect. Actually, I don't know. Present perfect, all right. Uh, And I guess I'm not as good as I used to be. So then the, uh, but what tense is this in? This is in the simple past tense, which means something happened at one time and this is referring back to it. In the Greek, there's a term for this tense. It's called the aorist tense. It means something happened in the past and this is referring to that thing. In other words, here's my point. Notice it doesn't say all people have sinned. That's why death is in all people. No, it says all people sinned at one time in the past. What is it saying? It's saying it very clearly. And again, in the original text, it's, it's very clear. What it's saying is this. When Adam sinned, That counted for all of us. When Adam sinned, we sinned. When Adam sinned, all of us who would one day come after him, which is everybody, we became sinners in Adam's sin. Now you might say, I don't like that. I'm not comfortable with that. Well, let's talk about it some more because this is what it's teaching. Okay, now this is called the doctrine of original sin. If you've heard that word, this is what it's about. Doctrine of original sin. Here's what it means. It means that even before you were born, From the time you were in your mother's womb, you were already infected with this disease called sin. Before you ever had the chance to consciously do something wrong, you were already a sinner because all sinned in Adam. When did we sin? We sinned when Adam sinned. When Adam sinned, all of his descendants after him became sinners. Now, somebody might say, hang on a second. 
That doesn't make any sense. I didn't sin when Adam sinned. Adam sinned when Adam sinned. If I'm a sinner, it's because I sinned, not because somebody else sinned. You can't put his actions on me. What he did is his problem. It's not my problem. Let me put it to you this way. You and I were in Adam when he sinned. You see, each and every one of us are descended from Adam. The, the genetic makeup of Adam has come down to all of us. And just a, a side note right now, even those who believe in, in evolution will tell you this, that all human beings alive today came from one original man and one original woman. So all of us come down, science testifies to the fact that all human beings alive today come from one original couple. And so when the Bible talks about Adam, it's not talking about an allegory, right? This isn't an allegorical story to teach us a lesson. This isn't like Aesop's fables. This is talking about a real person who committed a real sin that has real repercussions that affect us even to this day. And the proof of that, verse 13 and 14, is that all of us are subject to death. Look at what verse 13 and 14 says. Uh, sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there's no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. Let me explain this. What he's saying is, because we know that death is the result of sin, what that tells us is that even before the law of God was given, sin was already in the world. Why? Because of Adam. We were already sinners, and we know that because we died even before the law of God was given. Now let me give you an example. One time I was, uh, I was like 18 and a friend of mine, we just got out of high school. We went on this road trip and we were coming back from the road trip. This friend of mine, he had a nice car and he was driving. I was sitting in the passenger seat. We were on the highway and uh, I was kind of drowsing off. And the last thing I remember him saying before I fell asleep was, bro, I'm going 120 miles an hour. And then I guess I fell asleep because the next thing I remember is my friend saying to me, bro, wake up, I'm getting pulled over, right? And he got a huge ticket. Of course he did, why? Because he was going way over the speed limit, like way over. Now, but check this out, another time, I went to Germany and we had a car. Somebody lent us their car and we had to travel a couple hours. So we got to drive on the Autobahn and guess how fast I went. I went 190 kilometers an hour, which is 120 miles per hour. And guess what? I didn't get pulled over. In fact, I didn't even worry about getting pulled over. You know why? Because there is no speed limit on the Autobahn. In other words, there is no law, so I'm not breaking the law. How does that apply? That's exactly what's going on here in verses 13 and 14. He's saying God's law, right? His list of standards of right and wrong, it was not given until the time of Moses. So you got a bunch of people who lived before Moses was born, before Moses gave the law, or God gave the law to the people through Moses. So if you say what makes a person a sinner is that they break the law of God, well, then what about the people who lived before the law of God? They didn't break the law of God because there was no law yet for them to break. There were no Ten Commandments. There were no other laws. And so, but here's the deal. Those people also died. So how does that work? Well, here's what it tells us. Those people were also sinners. But how did they become sinners if they didn't break the law? Here's how. They sinned in Adam. They sinned in Adam. See, the proof that you are under the power of sin is that you are subject to death. So how did those people who lived before the law was given, how did they become sinners? They sinned like all of us. They became sinners in Adam. In other words, the fact that death reigned from Adam to Moses before the law was given is proof of the fact that when Adam sinned, we all sinned. In other words, we don't just become sinners by breaking the law. We, in fact, 
are sinners before we ever make a single conscious choice of our own. It isn't that you were born sinless and then you became a sinner at two years old when you hit that little girl over the head with the shovel in the sandbox. Now, if that's what it took to become a sinner, guess what? We would all still be sinners, okay? So we're all in the same boat. Now say, well, then who cares? I'm gonna show you why it matters in just a second. Even in your mother's womb, this is what it's saying. You were already a sinner because of Adam and what he did. And you know that David, the Psalm writer, he already understood that. Check this out, Psalm 51. Here's what David says. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. He's not saying that his mother was involved in some kind of adulterous affair or immoral relationship. We know from history she was not. What he's acknowledging is that he was a sinner even from conception. It was his status. It was his nature from the time he was conceived. And it wasn't because he, he just had a really bad attitude when he was in the womb, right? Like he had a kind of a grimace on his face and he kind of kicked his mom for fun. No, he was a sinner by nature because he is a son of Adam. A son of Adam, right? And so we see the effects of this as we raise our kids, don't we? Like, how many of us need to teach our kids to be selfish? Of course not. We have to teach them the opposite of that. It's, it comes very natural to them to be selfish. And it brings up a very important question. This is kind of an aside, but it's an important question that people always ask when it comes to this topic. If babies are born sinners, then does that mean that if a baby dies in infancy, uh, or as a small child, does that mean that they go to hell? And the answer is no, not necessarily at all. Let me give you a few reasons. Number one, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 14 tells us that the children of believing parents are sanctified by the presence of a believing parent. That's the idea of covenant and family. Furthermore, we read in 2 Samuel about King David, that there was a time when he experienced the painful, tragic loss of a, a child in infancy. And yet he took comfort and he was encouraged by the assurance that he had that he would be reunited with his child in heaven. He said, my son will not come back to me, but I will go to him. And so I do believe that uh, babies and young children who die, or let's say people with cognitive uh, disabilities or mental disabilities, they, who never reach the point where they are able to understand the gospel or put their faith in Jesus, I believe that God shows them mercy. But here's what I want you to understand in light of this passage. If they are taken to heaven, it's not because they were sinless and didn't need salvation. It was because of God's mercy, because he's a merciful God. You've been listening to a message by Pastor Nick Cady of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We'll get back to the remainder of this message in a moment. We are open for in-person worship on Sunday mornings with services at 9.15 and 11 a.m. Come grow with us on Sunday mornings, online or in person at 9.15 and 11 a.m. If you have missed any part of this message or past messages, you can find them all at besetfreeradio.com. Now, back to Pastor Nick with the remainder of today's message. The Bible tells us here that every human being descended from Adam is a sinner by nature, and that's why we're subject to death. So this is called, there's a name for this, it's called federal headship, or sometimes it's called federal theology or federal headship. Just like we have a federal government in which we have representatives, and they make decisions, and we all suffer the consequences of those decisions, right? Like we don't always like their decisions, but they affect us nevertheless. They are our representatives. And in the same way, Adam functioned as our federal head, our representative. And because of that, what he did 
affected us. Now we have an example of this in the Old Testament. See, back in ancient times, one of the ways that they would wage war was through something called representative warfare. And the reason they did that was because hand-to-hand combat was really uh, violent and really bloody and just, you know, people getting, if you didn't die, you're getting maimed. Just a ton of bloodshed, hand-to-hand combat. It was so terrible and gruesome that what they did is that sometimes they would resolve battles or conflicts through this thing called representative warfare. And what they would do is that each side would choose one warrior to represent their side. And then the two warriors would face off. And that warrior was called a champion. Now, the two champions would come out and they would fight each other one-on-one. And whichever one was victorious, their side, their army, would be counted as having won the battle and the other side would be counted as having lost the battle. Now, there's an example of this in the Bible, in the story of David and Goliath. In 1 Samuel 17, we read that the Israelites were at war with the Philistines. And at one point, they met in this place called the Valley of Elah. It's a big flat place with hills on either side. One army's camped on the one hill. The other army's camped on the other hill. It's going to be disastrous if either of them tries to rush the hill that the other one's on. They're going to get slaughtered. And so they're at this standoff. Nobody wants to make the first move. And so the Philistines come out and they suggest, why don't we resolve this through representative warfare, representative combat. And and that's what happens there. It says in 1 Samuel 17, the Philistines sent out their champion, actually uses that word there in the Bible, their champion, a man named Goliath of Gath. He goes out there and he goes out and he tells the Israelites to send down who? Their champion. Here's what he says, 1 Samuel 17, verses eight and nine. He says, choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail and I kill him, then you will be our servants and serve us. So here's the idea. Representative warfare, federal headship, a champion fighting another champion as representatives. Now, Adam was our representative, our champion, our warrior, our federal head. And so When he fell, we fell. When he lost, we all lost. When he sinned, we all sinned. Now maybe you say, hey, look, I understand what you're saying, but I just don't like it because it's incredibly unfair. Like, okay, even if this was the way that God did it, I don't, maybe you say, I don't like it. It just doesn't seem fair because I didn't choose Adam as my representative. I didn't vote for him. Why should I have to suffer as a result of his failure? I should be treated as an individual. That's our American mentality. I should be treated as an individual. I should be allowed to stand on my own two feet. I should be given a chance to represent myself. This isn't fair. Adam bombed and we suffer the fallout, right? Maybe if I, if I had been given the chance, I would have done better. See, we live in this very individualistic society, probably the most individualistic society that has ever existed in the history of the world. And so we have this tendency to have a hard time with this kind of stuff. We tend to believe that we should be treated as individuals and that no one can represent us except for us ourselves. Let me tell you two things if you're struggling with this idea. Number one, I do not think that you would have done better than Adam. In fact, I think I could go on record and say, I guarantee you wouldn't have done better than Adam. Because here's the thing, remember all that talk a a few minutes ago about the World Cup, about the weightlifting team, you know, in the Olympics? How does that apply at all? Here's how it applies. Adam was our champion. In other words, he was created specially by God. He was number one out of the factory of people, the best product before the gene pool got all messed up. He's the best 
God made him specially for us to be our representative. In other words, if he couldn't make it, then we're not going to be able to make it. If he failed, then you can be sure that we would do the same. Secondly, and this is more important, before you get too upset about federal headship and all this stuff, you need to understand that if you throw this out, you're throwing out the very feet that you stand on. You're cutting off the branch that you stand on. You are getting rid of the foundation of the gospel. Federal headship is the foundation of the gospel, and it is actually really, really great news. It's the entire basis of the gospel and how one man can save all people. Let me explain that to you. Let's move on to our next point. Why is federal headship great news? Here's why. Because if Adam's sin is our sin, here's what that means. It means that what if there's somebody else who came along? A new Adam, we might call him. A second Adam, maybe we would call him, who was perfectly obedient to God. And then just as Adam's sin was our sin, in the same way, the new Adam's obedience could be our obedience. See, look at what it says in verse 14. Adam, this is the very end of verse 14, Adam, who was a type or a pattern of the one who was to come. In other words, if God were to deal with us individually rather than corporately, that would actually be a tragedy. And here's why. If God dealt with us on all of our sins individually, it would not have been possible for one man, Jesus, to save us all. In order for Jesus to save all of us, the only way that could work for one man to save us is for him to be our champion, our federal head, our representative. Now think back to that story of David and Goliath. Here's what happened. The two champions meet in the valley of Elah. David representing Israel. Goliath representing the Philistines. David puts a sling in his rock and hurls it at Goliath. Goliath said, what are you, a, a, what am I, a dog that you come at me with rocks and sticks? What Goliath didn't realize is that David had come to a knife fight with a gun. And so David puts this thing in his sling. He hurls this rock, hits Goliath right in the middle of the forehead. Goliath falls down. And then what does David do? He goes and he takes Goliath's own sword because he didn't have his own. He takes Goliath's own sword and the coup de grace, he cuts off his head. And because David was victorious, all of Israel was victorious. Even though no one else lifted a single finger, they were victorious. David's victory was their victory because David won, they won, because David was their representative and their champion. And that is the picture of the gospel. That is the picture of what Jesus has done for you. Jesus, the son of David, the one who had David's own blood flowing through his veins, he came as our representative, as our champion to fight a greater enemy, an enemy that we could never stand a chance against on our own, and he was victorious. You and me, we didn't even lift a finger. We didn't contribute anything. Jesus did it all. And because of his victory, we can be victorious. Because of his victory, we can be free. That is the message of the gospel. Federal headship is the foundation of the gospel. The last thing you should ever want is to stand on your own two feet. No, see, not only would you fail like Adam failed, but you, you would not be in the place of having the new Adam, Jesus Christ, as your champion to fight for you on your behalf and to give you his righteousness as a gift. Look what it says, verse 15. The free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, how much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. In other words, both what Adam did and what Jesus did, they both had repercussions for all the human race. But whereas Adam's death brought sin and condemnation to all people, Jesus brings grace and life 
and makes it available to the whole world. Look at verse 16. The free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. In Adam we were condemned. In Jesus we can be justified. Do you see, it was the genius of God. It was the wisdom of God. It was the love and mercy of God that he dealt with us in this federal way. Because by dealing with us in this way of federal headship, by putting us under Adam as our representative, God was preparing the way for Jesus to come, the new Adam, our new representative, our new champion, where Adam failed, Jesus would succeed. And it is this way that the life and death and the resurrection of one man at one time, 2,000 years ago, is able to save people here and now and change your life forever. Verse 17, I love this verse, check it out. For if because of one man's trespasses, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. They say there are two things that are guaranteed in life, two things that are certain. Death and taxes. I can't help you with the taxes part, but let's talk about the death, okay? The statistics aren't good, right? Like 10 out of 10 people die. I'm not great at math, but that's somewhere around 100%. Now, death is reigning here on earth, and it has been for a very long time. We sometimes call this the land of the living. It'd probably be better to call it the land of the dying because from the moment a child is born, they're on the clock, and you don't know when death is going to come, but it will come one day. And you can eat a lot of kale, and you can use the elliptical every day, and you can postpone it, but you can't avoid it. It's going to come. Death reigns here on earth. But this is the good news. Even though Adam started a reign of sin and death, Jesus initiated a reign of righteousness and life. And this is the part I love. It says, if Adam did that and brought the reign of death, how much more does Jesus come and bring a reign of life? In other words, the two things that are certain in life, death and taxes. I can't help you with the taxes, but I can tell you this. There is actually something that is even more certain than death. That's what he's saying here. Much more certain than death is this, that if you put your faith in Jesus, you will be saved because of what he did. You will receive that grace and that salvation so much more than the death that came in. How can you have that assurance for yourself? That brings us to our final question, and it'll be brief. It's the question which this text forces us to ask ourselves in light of everything we have just read, and that's this question. Who is your champion? Who is your champion today? Verse 19 says this. As one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. In order for this assurance to be yours, Jesus has to be your champion. Verse 17 says this, you must receive this grace. You must receive this gift that he offers you in Jesus. For all of us, right, our default setting, the way that we're, we come into this world and the way that we live, unless something changes, is that Adam is our champion. He's our champion. But as we've seen, that's only gotten us death and sin and condemnation, nothing good. But there are some of you, Maybe you're trying to be your own champion. Maybe you're trying to prove yourself, justify yourself. You're trying to stand on your own two feet before God. Well, what we've seen today is that that ship has already sailed, right? Like that's not even, that is, a, that is an endeavor in failure. But here's the good news. If you look to Jesus, if you look to him and what he did and you make him your champion, you put all your trust and all your hope and all your confidence in him, not in yourself, but in him. If you trust not in yourself, but you trust in him. If you look not to yourself, but you look to him, 
you will be saved because of what he did. The battle's already been fought. The war has already been won. So I want you to do this today. Whether you've done it before or whether this is the first time, I want you to put your trust in Jesus and what he did for you in his perfect life, in his sacrificial death, and in his resurrection from the dead. You can have the assurance that is even more certain than death, the assurance of salvation and everlasting life in Jesus. Amen? Please stand with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this grand assurance that is ours in you. Thank you, Lord, that in your life, Lord, you lived the sinless life. You lived the life that we should have lived. In your death, you took our place. You died the death that we should have died. Lord, you won the battle. You are the victor. You are the champion. We thank you and we praise you for that, Lord. And, and today we receive it. We receive what you've done for us. No longer do we trust in ourselves. No longer do we believe in ourselves. No longer do we hope in ourselves. But we turn our eyes to you. You are our hope and our champion. Thank you, Lord, for that. We pray in Jesus' name. You've been listening to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have two in-person services on Sunday mornings at 9.15 and 11 a.m. And both services are live streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Be Set Free is a listener-supported program. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support this ministry, you can send a donation via check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or donate online at besetfreeradio.com. If you would like to support Be Set Free Radio or the ministry of Whitefields Church in Longmont with a donation, you can send a check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or give a financial gift online at whitefieldschurch.com.